from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. We are in John 4 this morning. I told you that we would be here for several weeks, and we're going to be here for three more weeks. And if you just want to make a note, uh, today is going to be about water. Next week is going to be about worship. And the final week will be about witness. And so I want to thank God for making it where it can be alliterated so that all of you can remember where we're going for the next three weeks. So today, about water and about thirst. You ever get thirsty? I I know I do. How about real thirsty? Do you ever get real thirsty? I'm talking about a thirst that has to be quenched. I mean, and if you're like me, that thirst is usually during the summers doing yard work, especially when it is a particularly humid day, which seems to have been all the days this year, honestly. So you're getting out there and you're working and you're thirsty and you're sweating. What do you do? Well, if I'm at my house uh, doing yard work, what I do is I go around to the back of the house where the water spigot's high enough off the ground that I can turn it on full blast and just stick my head underneath it. Because I don't care what anybody says. I know it's the same water that flows through the rest of the pipes in the house, but some reason it tastes better coming out of the spigot outside. I don't know why. But you just sit there and you gulp and you gulp and gulp, and it's just, it's so good, right? I mean, it is just, it is so refreshing. Your thirst has been satisfied. But there's a problem, right? The problem is you go back and you get on the mower, you go back, you pick up the weed eater, you go back and grab the leaf blower and you start doing it all over again. And what happens in two hours? That thirst that was satisfied has reappeared. And so what do you do? Well, if you're like me, you go around to the back of the house, you turn on the the spigot and go through the process all over again. No matter how much water we drink, even on uh, the days that it's hot and humid and we are so thirsty, we will become thirsty again it is a fact of life and it is that fact of life it is that truth that in john 4 jesus uses to begin a conversation with the woman by the well this is what happens john 4 verse 1 all the way down to verse 18 now when jesus learned that the pharisees had heard that jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than john although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons 
and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Looking back and just reminding where we were last week, the most important part that we focused on last week was the word had. Jesus had to go to Samaria. He had to walk through it, although most Jews, as we are told in this story, had nothing to do with the Samaritans. But it was part of Jesus' divine mission, the mission of preaching repentance to all nations and all ethnos. And so while he was traveling, Jesus stops at a well to rest. Arid country, walking, you're tired, It's uphill, it's mountainous, there's not a water fountain on every corner, there's not a shop to duck in for air conditioning. The only place that you could get water other than a river, but in this part of the land there aren't any, would be a well. He sees a well, he sits down and takes a rest. We're told it's about noon. Nothing in God's story is ever extra. It's always there for a purpose. And so Jesus sitting at this well at noon comes a woman at an odd time of day to a well outside of town, an odd location, to draw water. And the situation quickly becomes even more odd as Jesus looks at the Samaritan woman, himself being a Jewish male, and actually speaks to her. That would never happen. He asked for water, knowing that whatever vessel she uses to draw the water from, he would touch the vessel, he would touch her, and therefore Jesus, the Jewish male, by ceremonial purity, would now be unclean. Which is why she says, why are you even talking to me? You have nothing to do with me. You're not going to touch the implements that I use. I'm really confused by what is going on. And as you read that story, there is a just a bottom line physical reality to it. Okay, Jesus is thirsty. At the same time, he is going to use this conversation that he starts with her to move her from the physical reality of water and thirst to a spiritual reality about living water and a spiritual thirst. One that can only be satisfied by Jesus. So as he approaches the woman, or the woman approaches him, and he's there, he asks her for water. And this is our first point this morning. In asking for water, Jesus is going to reveal her spiritual thirst. Jesus reveals our spiritual thirst. Now remember, he is using physical thirst as a metaphor. We all know what thirst is like. Now, for us, though, we go through the day and we don't really think about it unless we're doing yard work on a hot, humid summer day. We think, hey, we're thirsty. But in that moment, 
we don't give it much thought other than I need to go inside to get a glass of water. I need to go to the back of the house, turn on the water spigot. It, it never crosses our mind that we're going to go into the house to get water and water's not going to come out. Right? And, and in the off chance that that happens, it's an issue. But it's a fixable issue, right? Because we call a plumber and the plumber comes out and, and the pipe has burst or the faucet stem is stripped the, and the pipe is repaired, the new stem is put in, the problem is fixed and you turn the, the knob and what happens? The water comes back out. See, for us, water is not a life and death issue. For the Samaritan people, for the Jewish people, it really was a life and death issue. And it was important that they had wells that they could come and draw water for. So the woman comes to this well to draw water for herself, maybe her family, perhaps her livestock, that is going to keep them alive. And when she gets to the well, she is confronted with a weary traveler leaning on the well. And in that moment, there, there is a harsh reality of life and death of living in a desert. This man, if he doesn't get water, could die. Right? We know that we can live much longer without food than we can without water. The question becomes, is Jesus, the Jew, going to talk to the Samaritan woman? And he does. And the Samaritan woman is willing to draw the water. And so as she engages with Jesus, as he engages with her, he is about to take this conversation of life and death, of thirst, of water, of the, the essential need for water, and turn it to use it as a metaphor for a spiritual reality. Which is why in verse 10, Jesus' response is, is very odd, Right? Again, follow the discourse. Jesus, give me a drink. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now, verse 10, if, if I'm thirsty, my answer is because I'm thirsty. And at this point, I don't care who you are. I can either talk to you or I can die. Of those two choices, I think I want to live. So I'm going to ask you, a woman of Samaria for a drink of water. But that's not his answer, right? Give me a drink of water. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink of water? A woman of Samaria. If you knew the gift of God, huh? If you knew the gift of God and you knew who, who, who was talking to you, then, then you would have asked me for water. Now, at this point, the Samaritan woman has got to be, and she is, we, we see that, thoroughly confused. You want water. I tell you you don't talk to me. You tell me something else, and you have nothing to drink water, but you have water, and you would give me water, but you're, you're the one that's thirsty. <laughs> right? I mean, leave it to Jesus to get somebody tied up in knots, right? <laughs> but he gives her 
this answer. And his answer is to draw her into the conversation. Nobody got the pun. Okay, we'll, we'll move on. Right? But look at his answer. Because he says three things in his answer that's really curious, and then look at what she latches on. Right? So the first part of his answer is, if you knew the gift of God. Okay. What is the gift of God? What is he talking about? And now, interestingly enough, the word gift is only used here in the Gospels, this particular word. The other places where you see gift, it's a completely different word. And the reason why is this particular word for gift stresses the freeness of the gift. If you knew the free gift that God gives, a generous God who freely gives what you need. But that's not what she responded to. All right, then Jesus says, not only that, if you knew the gift of God, then he says, if you knew who, who was talking to you, right? So he calls her attention to his elevated status, right? You know, the, the, uh, when you run into somebody and they look at you and go, do you know who I am? And you're like, no, should I? That's basically what Jesus does. Do, do you know who I am? And she's like, you're some Jewish guy at a well, all right? His, his elevated status doesn't cause her to respond. It's the third thing that he says. His last comment where he says, and he would have given you living water. That's what moves her to respond. And just as Nicodemus misunderstands, so does she. She is still operating in the physical realm, which is why she says, you have nothing to draw water with. And by the way, the well is, is, is deep. Where, where are you going to get this living water? Now, living water would be an amazing thing to have. Because living water as its name implies, is a water that moves. A creek, a stream, a river, something that, that, that moves. And this would be very different than still water, water that doesn't move, that would be found in a well or, or found in a cistern. And a cistern, basically, y'all seen the people with the big 55-gallon drums underneath their rain gutters, right? Their downspouts. That's basically a cistern, all right? In, in Israel, they would dig it into the ground, and they would plaster it, uh, the, the, what they dug out, so the water, the rainwater would fall into the cistern, and they would go and they would draw from the cistern. What's the problem with still water? What happens to it? Would anybody, the, the, the barrels that you see that's been sitting out in the sun, does anybody go and get water out of those barrels and drink? I mean, y'all are already shaking your heads. No. You don't go and drink from it. Still water gets stagnant. It can get covered with algae. Right? It's, it's, it's not good. But living water doesn't have that problem, does it? Now, granted, you don't want to drink from every creek in the world, but by and large, living water doesn't have that problem. So living water then is a guarantee of life because your cistern's not going to run dry. The cistern, you're required you know, to get the water out of the cistern, it's got to rain 
If there's no rain, there's no water. But if there's living water, if there's a constant flow of water, that is an assurity of life. But here's the problem. She says, where is the living water? There are no streams. There are no rivers. There's no living, running water in Shechem. So she's really curious. If I have a choice, sir, I would rather have your living water that you're offering instead of this cistern water, this well water that might run out at some time. Please tell me where it is because I don't know. Nobody in town knows. None of, we don't know where is it. Right? But she, again, still operating in the physical realm. But Jesus wants her to latch on to the spiritual truth behind this. And we see this by dropping down to verse 16. Look at verse 16. Go call your husband and come here. Okay, wait a minute. We're talking about water. We're talking about thirst. And now all of a sudden Jesus has completely switched it from water and thirst to go get your husband. What in the world does that have to do with living water? Great question. Glad you asked. There's an answer. Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. You can turn there or jot it down. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 4, it tells us, Hear the word of Yahweh, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says Yahweh. And then it says, What wrong did your fathers find in me? So this is the tenor of the conversation. God is speaking to Jeremiah, who is going to go speak to the people. And the tenor of the conversation, as he starts off, is, what wrong did you find in me? I brought you out of Egypt. I gave you the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. You're my chosen people. What wrong did your fathers find in me? And he keeps laying it out until he gets to verse 13. And he says, For my people have committed two evils. Now listen to the evils very carefully. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God says, what, what do you have against me? I am the living water. Living water, it says right here, comes from God. Living water is a, a life sustained by God. God has been sustaining them, giving them life. Not just physical life, but spiritual life. And God says to them, what, what have you done? What, what, what have I done to you that you would replace me the source of all living water, but then to replace me with broken cisterns that you hewed out yourself. In other words, they replace God. They replace God with themselves in whatever sin they wanted to pursue. So as God is using this metaphor, He says, you freely replaced spiritual living water 
that I am giving to you constantly, abundantly, freely with stagnant water in a leaky vessel. Water that will what? Eventually run dry. And you're going to be parched and famished until eventually you die. Back to John 4. This is what the woman was doing. This is why Jesus brings this up. Okay, it's, it, 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 is, it, is, it is intricately connected. It's not just Jesus, you know, had a random thought and he thought he would ask. Because the issue isn't the fact that she might need water to drink and to live physically. She's drinking the wrong water to live spiritually. And so what she is doing, she is looking to satisfy her spiritual thirst through relationships. Latching on to what she hopes will find and satisfy that longing down deep in her soul. Now, before we reach down and we pick up our rock, we need to understand that everyone is spiritually thirsty. Every, every one of us, every person on this earth, every person every created or will be created has a spiritual thirst. The problem is we look to quench that thirst in all the wrong places. And all those wrong places are broken cisterns. Promising refreshment only to find that it's leaked out. Again, going back to the, the rain bucket things that people don't drink from. Imagine you were so desperately thirsty that that was the only water that there was and you went and you popped open the lid to find no water. But you see a big hole at the bottom where all the water has leaked out. There's no refreshment in there. Jesus is saying to her, Jesus is saying to us, Jesus is saying to everybody, you're looking for refreshment and satisfaction of your thirst in a place where it's already leaked out. Right? I mean, we, we see this every day. Even today, people trying to find satisfactions in relationships, jumping from one to another. It's a broken cistern. Sexual immorality of all kinds, shapes, sizes, and, and, and things, folks, topics on the news that I never thought I would ever hear. People are trying to find a satisfied spiritual thirst there, and it's a broken cistern. Drugs, alcohol, broken cistern. Accumulating or spending money, a broken cistern. Physical fitness or sports, it's a broken cistern. Self-righteousness. It's a broken cistern. The fear of missing out. It's a broken cistern. We live in a world where we have created. Again, Jeremiah 2, it doesn't say God created. It says we forsook the living water. No, God, we don't want the water over here flowing. We want to come over here, dig our own. That's not going to hold water. That's going to break. We created them. And the world is full of broken cisterns. And to that, Jesus says, you're looking in the wrong places. We, 
we want more and more and more out of life, only to find out that it can never satisfy our thirst. All those sins that I mentioned, and there's so many more, and there, there's always one more step. There's always just a little bit more. Maybe this time, the broken cistern will provide refreshment. But it never does. I think one of the best ways that this has ever been stated comes from C.S. Lewis. Um, I like Lewis. I enjoy his books. You have to think when you read his books. They're not long, but you have to think. And one of the books he wrote uh, was called The Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but it's a series of letters, and, and you're going to scratch your head in just a minute, but you'll understand, written from the point of, a, point of view of a demon named Screwtape. Okay, so The Screwtape Letters. It's his letters to his demon nephew, Wormwood, who was trying to come up through the ranks. Okay, he, he, he wants to be a, a good demon. So the entire book, then, is written from the devil's point of view. So when I read this quote in a minute, when it says, enemy, please understand, in the quote, enemy is God. When it talks about father, please understand that father means Satan. All right, so we gotta, we got to flip our thinking for just a minute for this quote. And it, it, it's a longer quote, so, but, so listen. So this is it. Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's, meaning God, ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula to get a man's soul and give him nothing in return. That's what really gladdens our Father's heart. Now, I know he doesn't use broken cistern in that quote at all. But do you hear the broken cisterns in there? To get a man's soul and give him nothing. And that nothing comes from taking pleasures which God has produced and twisting them in ways or degrees which he has forbidden and at the same time give it more and more. There's an ever-increasing craving for a diminishing return. There's an ever-increasing craving to go to the broken cistern, but every time you go look down and it's going to be empty. <laughs> the world is full of spiritual thirst and the world is full of broken cisterns. Thankfully, there is a solution. And that solution is Jesus. He, he satisfies our spiritual thirst. See, this, this, is, this is what Jesus wants her to see and understand, what he wants us to understand, that there is a solution to the problem. 
and he is the solution. If you knew who was speaking, then, then you would have asked me because I am the satisfaction to what you desire. Instead of looking over here, you need to look to me. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirst, will never be thirsty, or excuse me, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's why he's talking about water. That's why he's talking about marriages and relationships because he wants her to see, wants us to understand that the thirst that we have, our spiritual thirst, is only satisfied through Christ. That's the whole point of the book of John, in him, through him, saved by him. Jesus says, look, I've come now to give you that new life. and It's free. I'm giving it. It's freely given. If you had known the gift, if you had known the free gift of God, you would have looked at me and said, give me this gift. That's what John wants us to see. Right? Have you noticed, maybe you haven't, we've, we've kind of talked about it, but have you noticed all the, the references John has made to water? Right? The wedding of Cana, there were water pots for the purification. Right? They were, they were what? They were baptizing in, in water. You've got to be born of what? Water and spirit. So the, this water is a symbol of the new life that, that is available only through Jesus. And as John continues to develop this theme, what we're going to see in John 7, that the water is defined as the Holy Spirit. Because it's really important to notice, right? Jesus later will say, I am the bread of life. Jesus never says, I am the living water. Right? Did, did you catch that? that? That he says, I will give you the living water. He doesn't say that he is. That, that's important, and we'll develop that a little bit more in John chapter 7. But he says, to get the living water, you've got to come through me. I'm the one who can give it to you. And so this living water, then, is a new life that is connected to God through the activity of the Holy Spirit, which is the life that God has offered ever since the beginning, Right? A life for where we are connected to Him. You see it in the beginning, in Adam and Eve, they're connected to God. How? They walk with God in the garden. They are connected. Now, in that moment, they are physically connected to God because He is there with them, and, and they are able to walk with Him. But then we get to the things, thank you, Adam chapter 3, right? Of the sin and, and the fall, and Adam and Eve doing what? What happens? Good, think about Jeremiah 3. What can we look and see is the problem in the fall? They cut off the living water for the broken cistern of what? Knowing good from evil. How'd that work out for them? How'd that work out for us, right? Because every since, every person who has lived, including you, including me, I mean, we've done the same thing. We, we've looked to quench our spiritual thirst through ourselves. Only to find out it doesn't work. And that's the state we could have been left in. But God, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, didn't stop the water from flowing. 
He never cut it off. He never ceased to invite His people to return to Him. Ezekiel 47, the entire chapter, and I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but verse 1 says this, Then He brought me to the door of the temple, and behold, this is God's temple. He brought me to the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east. And he talks about where the water was flowing down. Again, God didn't cut off the living water. It's flowing from Him, flowing from His temple. Why? So that the people would return to Him. And Isaiah makes this point very clear. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. With joy... You will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name exalted. Why? Because you have drawn from the wells of salvation. Or even Isaiah 55.1, right? Sometimes we, we miss all the invitations that God has given us in the Old Testament of where He invites His people, invites people to come to Him. Isaiah 55, 1. Come who? Everyone who? Thirst. Come where? Come to the waters. What waters? The waters of salvation that Isaiah was writing about in Isaiah chapter 12. Come and drink from the living waters. Now that would be wonderful. Right? I mean, I mean that is wonderful. If, if that's all it was, it would be wonderful. But God who, being rich in His mercy, loves us, takes His mercy one step further. In that coming to drink from the living, the well of the living water, it, it does more than just move us out of darkness into light. It moves us into a dynamic experience that overwhelms every aspect of our lives. Right? That's what verse 14 says. Look at verse 14 again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Welling up. That, water, that word for welling is much more active than it looks like. It's used in Acts chapter 3, 8 when the lame uh, uh, beggar is healed. And it says, and leaping up. All right, so imagine that. You haven't walked, you haven't moved, you're lame, and all of a sudden you can walk. I know you're bad this, but you'll probably go dance. Right? You can see the activity of the bad. That's what happens. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 14. It, it's, it's welling up. So Jesus gives us a life, not that is docile or stagnant, but an abundant life that wells up inside of us through the Holy Spirit so that we don't have to keep going back to the well. Right? We go to the well of salvation how many times? Once. But that doesn't mean that our life stops there. Because the Holy Spirit working through us, constantly flowing through us, produces within us a well that will never run dry. It will not run dry now, nor will it run dry in the future. Revelation 22 Verse 1, John is reporting what he saw. He's in heaven. He's looking around. And as he's writing, he says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. I wonder where that water came from. 
flowing from the throne of God. Oh, it seems like that's an ongoing theme with God. That water flows, the living water flows from Him. And there it is again, flowing through heaven for all eternity. And even in Revelation, there's an invitation to be able to walk beside the waters. In twenty-one, chapter 21, verse 5 and 6, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write, these, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Chapter 22, verse 1, the water of life flowing through heaven for all eternity. It's the same invitation that he gives in John 14. Come, drink the water, the water that I give you. You will never be thirsty again. It will be like a spring welling up to you to eternal life. See, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our thirst. He is the only one who can satisfy the, the thirst of the world who is looking again for that satisfaction in broken cisterns. So whatever it is you want, whatever it is you crave, you desire, whatever you're looking for, whatever it is that you are thirsting for, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy. Stop drinking from the broken, stagnant cisterns of the world and drink deeply from the living waters that Jesus offers. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.